the Oscar goes and to... And the Oscar goes to... And the Oscar to... goes to... Gentlemen, my only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten your seat. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Yeah. All real, man. Love is... is Love. Too weak a word. Stay Welcome to the next best picture podcast. And the Oscar goes to Green Book. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 172 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia. Joining me today on December 15th, 2019, I have Bianca Gardner. Hello there. Josh Parm. Hello, hello. And Tom O'Brien. Hey, everybody. So, we thought last week was pretty exciting uh, with the first wave of critics groups, but this week, it was a lot of guilds. And we also had the Golden Globe and the SAG uh, nominations revealed to us. So, there was definitely a lot of excitement over the last week within the awards season. I know traditionally, I like to start off by asking everyone what it was that they uh, caught up with in the movie theater or on screener or on Blu-ray, whatever, in the comfort of their homes or at the movies, but... We got to get to the nitty and gritty here. We got to get down to it. We got to talk about what's going on right now in the world of award season. I will say, though, that we are going to take some time to talk about three trailers this week. We're going to talk about Wonder Woman 1984. We're going to talk about In the Heights. And we're also going to discuss Promising Young Woman. We'll go over the polls, answer some fan questions. Lots to talk about. Let's dive first and foremost, though, into the guilds. We had some nominations announced this week. First, we'll start off with the 2019 ACE Eddie Award nominations, representing the best in film editing for 2019. Uh, The winners will be announced on January 17th, 2020. Here is what they nominated for best edited feature film in a drama. Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, Parasite. And then for comedy, Dolomite is my name, The Farewell, Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yikes. <laughs> uh, the nomination that jumps out at me is Parasite. Yeah, big, big get for them. Parasite, I think, of all of the movies over the last uh, week, has really solidified itself in this race in terms of how much it showed up with the guilds. I I mean, there are, there are a couple other examples of this. Jojo Rabbit, I think, received a nice boost this week from some guild nominations. Uh, Joker, especially, is another one that's really cemented itself. Yeah. Uh, Ford v. Ferrari. I mean, mm-hmm. we kind of knew Marriage Story, The Irishman uh, would be involved once upon a time in Hollywood as well. They were kind of like, you know, we definitely knew they would be there. But just in terms of getting the necessary guild nominations to show strength and support for a Best Picture nomination, uh, this was pretty big. But a reoccurring theme that I'm going to be going over uh, here is the lack of late December releases. Little Women, 1917, Bombshell, to a certain degree. We'll get get to that in a little bit. Um, Pretty absent over the last week. I would have thought more... Uh, love would have been for 1917 um yeah especially in terms of editing i mean it look but then it's all sort of 
isn't it one i haven't seen the film yet but it's all sort of shot one take is it is that the sort of it is um it's made to look like one take Mm -hmm. i would say that it's so yeah it's clearly not one take it's made to look like one take uh there definitely are hidden edits and then there's one very obvious edit in the movie um but it's really well done and, you know, Lee Smith, the editor, has given uh, quite a few interviews about his work on the film. And um, a few critics groups have recognized it with a nomination here and there so far. But I've always believed since I saw the movie, and especially with the precedent that Birdman set with with not getting an Oscar nomination for Best Film Editing, I never considered 1917 for a Best Film Editing nomination. Not not even in my predictions. I, I understand that, Matt, but I also think it's still a little surprising that it didn't show up at the Guild because, yeah, Birdman didn't get the Oscar nomination, but it still got nominated at uh, at ACE. And given that Lee Smith is a very popular editor, I still find that it missing here is kind of surprising to me. I agree. I do agree. And that's the thing that we have to ask ourselves. We have to ask ourselves, is it the late December release or is it the uh, one take trick? Which is it that kept it out of here? Because I do agree that it probably should have landed here, if anything. Yeah, Yeah. I was just going to say Marriage Story is the one that sticks out with sticks out to me in terms of Mm -hmm. whether it should be there. I I don't know. I don't uh, the uh, when I look at sort of like Ford uh, versus Ferrari and like the Irishman and Joker and Parasite all sort of built a lot on action uh, and there's a, a lot of um, energy to those films. Sure. Whereas Marriage Story doesn't really have that. I mean, I love Marriage Story, but in terms of its editing, it didn't really stand out to me. Also, don't be surprised if uh, Jojo Rabbit starts to build a little bit of steam for an Oscar nomination for Best Film Editing because, you know, editing comedy is really, really difficult in terms of the rhythm. And I think Jojo Rabbit has a great, uh, like a great showcase of uh, comedic uh, timing with its editing that uh, really could help it here. Um, And then, of course, there's the Knives Out uh, mention, something I was very, very happy to call uh, early when I first saw the film and definitely felt like a long shot nomination at the time, but I still somewhat believe Knives Out could pull like an I, Tanya. Maybe it doesn't get a picture nomination, but it gets like a surprising uh, editing nomination on Oscar uh, morning. Mm, if it gets PGA, I'll believe that a little bit more. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's very possible. It's doing extremely well right now uh, at the box office and um, it has showed up at uh, other guilds as well along the way. Namely, Costume Designer uh, Guild. So the CDG announced their nominees. Um, Their winners will be announced on January 28th. For Excellence in Contemporary Film, they nominated A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Hustlers, Knives Out, The Laundromat, and Queen and Slim. For Period Film, Dolomite Is My Name, Downton Abbey, Jojo Rabbit, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Rockin' Man. And then for excellence in sci-fi fantasy film, Aladdin, Avengers Endgame, Captain Marvel, Maleficent Mistress of Evil, and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Now, the, the big question is, did they just name check Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker? Have they seen it? And the reason why I'm asking this question is because... If they haven't seen it and they just name-checked it, why the hell is Little Women 
not in the period film nominations. Oh that is that. Yeah. that is the most bizarre omission to me because like all the other ones, okay, maybe I can see like, yeah, it's maybe not going to show up for editing. I can get that. But like costumes, I don't understand how it is not here. Literally no. every single technical element of Little Women is absolutely A plus except for film editing. So I can also, Josh, concede and understand that, yeah, it would miss an ACE nomination. But here, and we're going to get to it in a second here, but Art Directors Guild, it's like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) And also, like, the costume designer of Little Women is a well-known costume designer. So it's not like it's a a nobody who's just breaking into the industry. She's well-known. I believe she already has an Oscar. So that just makes it even more strange that the Guild didn't recognize it to me. I will say this, in regards to Little Women, and this also once again extends to 1917 as well, I do firmly believe that these are movies that, due to the early deadlines uh, to nominate, uh, to vote on these nominations, and, you know, it's like screeners probably arrived super, super late. Um, Some of the screenings that were taking place in New York and LA, maybe not enough people could get to them in time. I can understand why they would miss here, and it's mostly because of this condensed season that we're in right now. So I will chalk this up to an anomaly. They still feel like the kinds of movies that are still going to show up on Oscar nomination morning. The question then becomes, though, do Oscar voters look at these lists to figure out which films to put on their ballot, even if they haven't seen them sometimes? Or do they really vote for the ones that they actually have seen? Uh, It's... It's going to be very, very interesting uh, to see like how much of an impact the guilds really do have this year on the nomination process. Yeah, I mean, because I still believe that Little Women's going to get an Oscar nomination for costumes. I still think that's going to happen, but same. It, it is interesting as to whether or not like it not showing up at the guild is indicative of whether it will win the Oscar for costume design. Mm-hmm. It would. It would seem like Little Women, it, without having seen it. Um, the costumers might just say, okay, this is something I have to see. And the costumes in it are so wonderful and so varied. It's the variety of costumes in this that really struck me. And uh, I'm, I'm just stunned that it didn't make it. Now, moving over then to uh, the Art Directors Guild, uh, once again, Little Women absent from this list. However, for period film, 1917 does show up. So for the Art Directors Guild, their winners will be announced on February 1st. For period film, we have Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Jojo Rabbit, Joker, 1917, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Then for fantasy film, Ad Astra, Aladdin, Avengers Endgame, Dumbo, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and there he is again, Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker. What is going on? Contemporary film. Uh, a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, John Wick Chapter 3, Parabellum, Knives Out, Parasite, Us. So happy nice Parasite see... got in. Well, I was going to say, it's nice to see Us as well. Yes. Uh, I love that Us is continuously popping up a lot over the last couple of weeks because it is a movie that I think a lot of us were worried that either because of the horror genre or the early release, it would be uh, forgotten about. Uh, but with Lupita Nyong'o uh, giving what is now becoming, I think, for a lot of people, a quote-unquote must-see performance, I think a lot of people are, you know, that I'm, I'm sure a lot of people already had seen it, but for those that maybe are playing catch-up, maybe didn't, they're checking this film out, and it is showing up in a lot of places. So this is very, very exciting for that movie, I agree. And then once again, yeah, Josh, 
Parasite, contemporary film, best art direction. It's looking I, good. I, yeah, I saw Parasite the third time this week, and it's funny. Knowing what's going to happen, <laughs> I just wandered about the house. I love that house. Oh, oh. good. Yeah, so so, good. so wonderful. The one that the one thing that's uh, interesting to me that's starting to. I don't want to say confuse me, but it is starting to make me, uh, you know, kind of question how far it really is going to go is Joker. I never, even when I saw Joker, like considered it for a production design nomination. It landed here. There are people who are now saying that Joker could get close to double digits on Oscar nomination morning uh, and land in a lot more categories than we think. I still don't see that happening. I still think it's like a five maybe six nomination movie. Uh, but production design is one of those that if it got it, it would push it ahead uh, closer to that double digit territory. I, I just think it's very interesting that with a majority of these guilds so far, it, it is not missed. Yeah. I actually think Joker is looking pretty good for a production design nomination actually, because this is a genre uh, in terms of comic books that tend to do actually very well in this category. And look, I got my issues with the movie, but it is, well-designed and i think that of the nominations that it could receive it would be one people would you know sort of agree that it could be deserving of yeah it's just getting a little crammed i think you know right now production design in terms of they could go for something uh very flashy and fantasy based like maleficent mistress of evil they could keep it strictly to best picture contenders with things like the irishman 1917 once upon time in hollywood uh, you could go for something a little bit more uh, daring and contemporary, like Parasite, Knives Out. I, I, I mean, and then Little Women, which isn't listed here again, yeah. you know, is also in the mix, I think, as well. And I yeah. think Ford v. Ferrari is a strong contender as well. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah. You're probably right. I mean, it, it really kind of astounds me that uh, I've been to Academy screenings and the uh, – um, elderly nature of at least the people who go to the screenings, I'm really surprised that they may be jumping at Joker. I mean, I I knew that Joker was going to be something that was going to divide film Twitter, and then I, I was still skeptical about how the industry was responding to it as well, but then I too, Tom, went to a lot of screenings and a lot of receptions and talked to a lot of people, and the reaction that it is receiving from people within the actual industry is overwhelmingly positive. Wow. Mm. And it's they've done a really, really good job of really spinning um, its narrative. And a lot of people that say it has nothing to say and that it's hollow and empty and such. They are giving those people uh, a run for their money in regards to, no, this movie really does have something to say and this is what it is. Like they're really trying to get its message out there a lot more. Um, I think people could still definitely have opinions on how it's being said, but they're they're doing a really good job of making it feel urgent, contemporary, starting a conversation about controversial issues, maybe not giving answers, but at least providing the basis for us to have conversations. Does that make sense? Yes. Sure. <laughs> and I think that's what people are responding to about it. Well, I actually think maybe the thing that's helping Joker even more than that is that it made a billion dollars. I think. <laughs> yeah. I oh, actually, no. Yeah, totally. That's definitely a part of it. I think that it became such a mega hit and bigger than anything people had anticipated. I think that is what's helping that movie feel more like a winner than if it had just been like a modest success. I think this is a case where 
money really talks for this film. Well, no, yeah, because then there's an interesting conversation to be had about we can't get the films that we want to get made made nowadays. I mean, look at Martin Scorsese having to resort to Netflix, uh, a place that we never, ever thought that he would ever work to get his film made. And Todd Phillips uh, did a different thing, which was, well, I can't, you know, get the kind of film made that I want to get made. But if I put it within the context of the superhero genre, then I can get the backing and uh, the money and so on and so forth. And as a result of which, for it to still be this successful on that low of a budget compared to other superhero movies like Avengers Endgame, for example. Yeah, I, I would say that there are a lot of people in the industry who view that as a breakthrough success in terms of how to tell story, how to tell mature adult stories, but in a mass appeal sort of way that satisfies both parties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Art and commerce just like kind of balanced in, in that sense. And regardless of your opinion of the movie, which I do have many, that is still impressive. So leading into then uh, our last guild before we get to Golden Globe and SAG, we had Cinema Audio Society nominations. And over here, uh, for Motion Picture Live Action, uh, they nominated Ford v. Ferrari, no surprise, Joker, which I am very, very happy to call a sound mixing nomination for that movie super, super early, because I think it is now really going to happen. Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, no surprise, Rocket Man, which is fantastic, I'm very, very happy to see it show up here, and Irishman, which... I'm still iffy on Irishman landing in the sound categories on Oscar nomination morning. I, I truly am. But I could see a world where if they really did just want to vote it across the board, every category imaginable, why not? <laughs> you know? I suppose. I personally think that if I were to take like this group, like this select group right here and say, okay, this is probably going to be like three or four of these will be our Oscar nominees. I would say that 1917 and Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker have to be involved. I would agree about that. And I think Irishman is one that's very, very easy to take out. And personally, I've never understood what the obsession was with the sound work in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. That's just me. That's just me personally. But there are people who have said from day one that it's definitely landing in those categories. But if it were me, I would say replace Hollywood and Irishman with Star Wars in 1917, and I think that is the lineup, personally. Yeah, yeah. I, mm. think Ford, I think Ford v. Ferrari is on another level, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, totally. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, after the week it's had, I think it is now in contention to actually win sound mixing over 1917. I think you might be onto something there. Yeah, probably. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee. And we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC Podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty, or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. All right, cool. All right, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Okay, so uh, and now that we've got over the guilds here, uh, what I want to do now is I want to actually take a moment to discuss our first trailer for this week, and then we'll head into uh, Golden Globe and SAG. First up, we are going to 1984, Wonder Woman, the sequel to, well, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Let's take a look at the trailer. Let's let's give some thoughts here because I, I I got a few. I got a few. My life hasn't been what you probably think it has. 
We all have our struggles. Have you ever been in love? A long, long time ago. You? So many times. Yeah, all the time. <laughs> Welcome to the future. Life is good, but it can be better. And why shouldn't it be? All you need is to want it. Think about finally having everything you always wanted. I can save today, but you can save the world. I take what I want in return. Everyone will see. Born from lies. And greatness is not what you think. Just a trash can. It's just a trash can. Yeah, yeah. I'm so excited. <laughs> I absolutely adore how this trailer is cut to uh, New Order Blue Monday. It is so freaking fun, so cool. I love the retro feel. It, it kind of reminded me in ways of like Thor Ragnarok a little bit. Mm, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, other than really just me scratching my head trying to figure out how the hell is Steve back, um, I, I don't know if he's a vision. I, I don't know if they're playing around with some sort of time travel shit. I, I have no idea. Um, I'm really, really on board for this. I, I love the first Wonder Woman movie so, so much. Same. So good. Yes, yeah. I, I'm very yep. excited for this this uh, sequel. You know, I do agree with you, Matt, though, that the whole Chris Pine is back gives me a little worry, especially because that was such an emotional moment at the end of the first movie that to bring him back seems like it would cut a lot of that emotional content out of the first movie. And I'm not very excited about that, but it looks like a fun time at the movies. And I'm excited to just have uh, to be back in that world with those characters again. I think they were genuinely I don't know if it's like surprised or I don't know. It's tough. It's tough to to figure out if they always intended to bring him back or if they were surprised by the chemistry between the two of them and how well audiences responded to that relationship and uh, that they just wanted to continue that. Because I tell you, like that joke at the end about the uh, the trash can and everything. I love I love those two and how they just play off one another. They're they're really great together. I think it's safe to assume that DC did not have a plan for, for how to continue <laughs> no, one. I think, I think that's a safe assumption. Yeah. 
And I mean, when I heard the uh, proposal for it, I thought, oh, man, it's 1984. Chris Pine's not going to be in it. So I'm very happy. You know who is in it, though? The Red Viper himself, Pedro Pascal. And uh, I have to say that, like, watching him in this as well, um, I'm really, really excited uh, to see him landing some more high-profile projects. Uh, he looks like he's going to be, I, I guess, the villain of the movie? Yeah. I believe he is the villain, yeah. 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 Maxwell Lord, um, who is, like, the villain. Um, and I I know a bit about Wonder Woman and her relationship with him and... Uh, uh, yeah, it, it'd be interesting to see if they go down that sort of storyline. Um, mm-hmm. But I'm wondering with the Steve being back, um, some I've been reading up on theories that maybe they're trying to do Flashpoint, which is kind of like how you would reboot the DC universe uh, by going back in time and then meddling around with the timelines. So then you could recast certain actors and certain characters who have now left um dc so that could then work into robert Pattinson becoming batman so um i think yeah i think we're gonna have answers and i I don't think it's just going to be like oh we just brought him back because the chemistry was good so i think it will sort of work into the actual story and won't just look jarring and it looks like also Kristen wig is uh, from what I can tell, I, I don't know if I'm showing this, but I, I don't know anything about the comic book lore uh, whatsoever. Um, but it looks like Kristen Wiig is a, a character who I guess starts off as friends with uh, Wonder Woman and eventually becomes an enemy probably. Yeah, I think – is she playing Cheetah? Oh, also, I think that's who it is. I'm just going – sorry, I feel like a geek now, just geeking out. No, that's good. You're helping to inform because, like I said, <laughs> I don't know anything about this world at all. So I, I absolutely just love Wonder Woman. She's like my favorite um, like superhero. So I, yeah. I really am excited to see what they do with with her sort of role in, in the like DC world. So hopefully that, you know – we're going to have better movies um, because obviously Justice League and Suicide Squad, those never happened. <laughs> <laughs> I think Warner Brothers wants to uh, treat it that way too. They want to act like those movies just never happened. Let's hit the reset button. And, uh, you know, this whole time travel thing that you're talking about right now, uh, Bianca could give them the opportunity to say, all right, let's take a step back. Let's try to do over the things that we didn't get right. And let's continue to things that we, uh, you know, have done right. Like, uh, like, Aquaman, for what it was, it was fine, you know, as a standalone movie. I, I didn't really have too many issues with it. Uh, but Wonder Woman was a great standalone movie, one that um, I am so, so happy to see Patty Jenkins uh, return as a director. She looks like she is yeah. once again just knocking it out of the park by really not giving us more of the same. But, you know, with the time period and just the visual aesthetic that they're going for here, it looks like it feels... Um, it's gonna feel it's gonna feel different, but with characters that we liked from the last film, and you have Hans Zimmer uh, coming to do the score of this time. Um, I love Harry Gregson. Uh, oh, wait, was it Harry Gregson Williams? I think it was. I think so. Who did the first one? Yeah, I, I love his score for the first one, but uh, I'm very very excited to hear what Hans Zimmer does uh, with the music here. I just I, I I know I've said this before, but I I, I got to reiterate this. I hate the guitar riff wonder woman theme so so much 
But anytime the score was not doing a riff on that, um, I, I really, really did like the music from the first film. And I hope that does carry over a little bit here. So we'll see. Should be interesting. Should be fun. That's going to be releasing on June 5th, 2020. So something to look forward to there. Perfect timing. Now, in terms of things to look forward to, Golden Globe nominations were announced. Oh, boy, were they fun. <laughs> oh, yeah, golly. Ceremony will be held on January 5th, 2020. There is a lot to go over here. Uh, what I think we'll do is this. We'll just go category by category. Let's start off with best foreign language film. We had The Farewell, Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, Parasite, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I would not be upset if this was the Oscar lineup, but I know The Farewell will not be uh, there on Oscar nomination morning. But its inclusion here makes this lineup so freaking fantastic well, to me. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, yeah, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. God damn it, Josh. Oh, I forgot about that. Oh, no. Yeah, I know. Heartbreaking. Uh, you know, I'm so happy, though, that Portrait of a Lady on Fire is at least being brought up and mentioned, not just here, but also with some critics groups for picture, cinematography, costume design. This movie uh, deserved a little bit better than what it has received uh, this year. So I'm glad that it's at least getting mentioned. Okay, so Les Miserables, Pain and Glory, Parasite, probably set for Oscar nominations. Am I right? I think so. Yeah. Probably. Barring what happens with the Oscar shortlist tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Because you never know. Could you imagine if Parasite missed the shortlist? <laughs> I mean, you know? I have seen this theory floated around from some people that because Parasite is perceived as such a heavy best picture favorite that the uh, committee might go crazy and be like, well, it's safe there. So let's make room for another movie. I don't think that's going to happen, but I've seen that theory floated. And around. can I just say for the record, Josh, that if that does happen, I I will proclaim as of tomorrow, if Parasite is not on the short list for best foreign language film or international, whatever we're calling it now, <laughs> I will hereby declare Parasite the default winner for best picture for the Oscars then. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. You're absolutely right about that. It, 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 losing that nomination might be the best thing to happen to Parasite. All right. Best animated feature, Frozen 2, How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, The Lion King, Missing Link, and Toy Story <laughs> 4. Oh, that's, yeah, the Lion King. Oh, oh gosh. I, I love the what balls on this organization to do that. I really do. <laughs> uh. it, the question now I have to ask in regards to this is, is this just globes being globes? Um, or do we really, really need to take a moment to consider uh, that Lion King could surprise? Because I don't think it's being submitted for animated feature. No, it's it's not. No. no, they didn't submit no. it for animated. Now, if they don't submit it for animated feature, then it can't actually get a nomination, period. Yeah, it, it can't at the Pretty Oscars. Much. Okay, because I was wondering if there would be, like, a subgroup of people that'd be like, I don't care if you didn't put it here. Like, we're still voting for it because it really is animation. You know what I mean? No, I think this was mainly just the Globes trying to make a statement about something, which, you know, good on them for doing it, but I don't – that's not Yeah, no, because I'm of the belief that it really is an animated film. Yeah, And even even if I do consider it an animated film, it's still, for me, not good enough to crack a five for animated oh, film. Oh, yeah. It's an animated You're feature, but it's also a bad animated feature. Too. <laughs> I am yeah. a little disappointed that I lost my body, could not get a nomination here. Um, but I still think uh, it looks good come uh, Oscar nomination morning. I think it would take Lion King's slot, personally speaking. Agreed. Um, and, Abomin and Abominable is also in the hunt as well. 
Yeah. So I I would say abominable missing linker fighting for a spot, and then I lost my I think I lost my body as in personally. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I missing link has sent out screeners very yes. early. Missing Link had a very aggressive campaign that I think is paying off for them very, very nicely right now. And the animation branch at the Oscars loves, like, uh, they love stop motion in general. So it, it it looks pretty good for them. I really feel like the Oscar lineup is going to be the Golden Globes, take out Lion King for I Lost My Body. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that, that's I would say that's a safe place to be right now. We'll see. For original song, Beautiful Ghosts from Cats. We knew that they had seen Cats. There it is. Uh, surprisingly, didn't show up anywhere else. But this now guarantees that Taylor Swift will be at the Golden Globes this year. <laughs> Which is all they really wanted. <laughs> I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man, Into the Unknown from Frozen 2, Spirit from The Lion King, and Stand Up from Harriet. Oh, I don't know about Spirit. No, I think that was another, uh, we just want Beyonce at our show sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I, I'm really disappointed that Into the Unknown is very much looking like it's going to really be Frozen 2's play for song because Ryan wrote a really great article about Show Yourself and how that should be the song they should be pushing instead. Uh, but I think we got to... I think we need to accept the reality that it is probably going to be Into the Unknown at this point. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the one that they're pushing, but we've seen instances in the past where there's multiple songs from a movie and they push one and another gets in, like Mary Poppins last year. So I wouldn't rule out Show Yourself completely from getting into the Oscar lineup. Josh, always always give me hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, come back to me in a couple weeks. For best original (laughs) score, we have 1917, Joker, Little Women, Marriage Story, and Daniel Pemberton from Motherless Brooklyn. There's always one. There's always one weird, random nominee for score at the Golden Globes, and it's Motherless Brooklyn this year. Which I think makes sense, because if you take that out and put Star Wars um, in its place, I think that that looks very much like it could be the Oscar lineup then. I think so. Yeah, I don't know about Marriage Story. I'm still kind of iffy on that one, but it definitely could easily make it into the lineup. Yeah. I, I saw Marriage Story again this week, and it's a lovely score. Yeah, and that you got to also look at Randy Newman's uh, track record with the uh, the Academy. I mean, they nominate him for everything. Yeah. Although has he been nominated? Has he been nominated since Toy Story three? No, he has not had a nomination since uh, twenty ten. But I mean, mm. preceding that though, I mean, the guy gets nominated okay. left and right. You know. I mean, that was his twentieth nomination. So yes, they do <laughs> like him a right. lot. Now, the question is, will they like, uh, you know, his relative, Thomas Newman, you know? (laughs) Who needs to love a little bit more this year? (laughs) (laughs) I just want Thomas Newman to have an Oscar. I really do. Yeah. So, all right, best screenplay. One category for screenplay. We have The Irishman, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Parasite, and The Two Popes. Another good get for Parasite here. A huge get for Parasite. That was awesome. Um, I guess the shocking omission, uh, if, if you want to consider it shocking, because like I said, it's only one category, is probably Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, I mean, considering that this was a place I thought they would really go for it. But again, it's one category and the screenplays are kind of crowded this year. So it remains to be seen. It'll probably do good for the Oscars, though. Yeah, I wouldn't worry. About also, too, uh, Little Women. Yeah. Which, you know, we'll get to in a second here. Little Women... Uh, Got beat up, I think, pretty badly by the Globes um, in a in a pretty yeah. devastating way. Uh, moving over to supporting actress, Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell, Annette Benning for The Report, Laura Dern, Marriage Story, Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. 
Kathy Bates is not happening. You don't think so? Uh, but, you know, the, the box office was just a dead horse. Yeah, the, the box office performance of Richard Jewell does not help her at all, unfortunately. I still have this feeling about it. Okay. I mean, maybe. I wouldn't necessarily write it out, but I do think that movie not making a lot of money is going to be very damaging for her chances. Well, let's put, let's assume this then. Let's assume Laura Dern, Jennifer Lopez, Margot Robbie, they are in there, right, for three slots. Then you have two slots left. And the thing about Kathy Bates and Annette Bening especially – is that even though the movies have like no buzz behind them at, at all, they're kind of um, established veterans with check the name, you know, uh, box yep. mentality that um, I, I, I honestly believe one of them is getting in there. I would think Annette Benning, personally, um, just because of the sort of the, the report has a more meatier, sort of grittier type of um, there's more going. I, in terms of like the scale of what's being discussed and her role, I think she would be better. I don't know. I just feel like more more likely her than Kathy. And then I would say Zhao Shuzen and Florence Pugh were fighting over that last slot because I just don't think we live in a world that is that nice and that perfect to have both Florence Pugh and Zhao Shuzen both get in. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also don't forget Scarlett Johansson for JoJo. That's another one. Oh my God, you're right. Um, although, once again, she didn't show up here, showed up elsewhere, though. Um, you're right. Definitely in, in the consideration. You're 100% correct. Those are the five for the two open slots. Jeez, that's, it, this category is definitely a lot trickier than I think we all anticipated it was going to be. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, best Supporting Actor, a category that started off extremely tricky and I think is starting to get easier which is very interesting. Uh, we have Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Famous Day in the Neighborhood, <laughs> Anthony Hopkins for The Two Popes, Al Pacino for The Irishman, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I'm still not confident about Tom Hanks, though. No, I'm not either. No. And, and it's not so much the lone nomination sort of a mentality of like, because Jennifer Lopez is writing that with Hustlers right now, where it looks like she might be the only nomination for a film. So... Why can't Tom Hanks do the same thing for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, you might ask? Well, it's just, I don't know. It's like, do you want to lean towards, do you want to lean more towards Tom Hanks getting a nomination for the first time since Castaway uh, because it has been such a uh, long time since his last nomination? Or do you want to lean more towards, well, maybe there's a reason why it's been a long time since his last nomination and there, and just keep that trend going. Yeah. And Tom Hanks to me feels like that example where it's early in the season where people were talking about him as a contender. So they nominate him. But as the season goes on and there's not a whole lot of passion for that movie, like, sorry, Dan, but <laughs> yeah. I just really feel like there's not really support for him or that film. And I just feel like he's going to get left off for people that have a lot more passion behind them. Yeah, I mean, I I think that Pacino, Pesci, and Pitt are in. Yes. Um, yeah, I'd agree with that. And I would say the Hank spot might go to Song Kang Ho. I think you're right about that. And I'll, and I'll say more on that in just a second here. Yeah. Uh, best Actress, Musical, or Comedy. Uh, we have Aquafina for The Farewell, Anna de Armas for Knives Out, Kate Blanchett, Where'd You Go, Bernadette, Beanie Feldstein for Booksmart, and Emma Thompson for Late Night. High five, Josh, for the Cape Blanchett call. <laughs> yes. 
it it uh, seemed like something that I, I think you and I and a few others definitely were like, they're so going to do this. They're going to do this, yeah. you know? And sure enough, they did. Mm. Um, I think the real exciting uh, thing, though, to keep in mind with this uh, group is uh, Beanie Feldstein getting in for Booksmart is just freaking fantastic. Yay. Yeah, so I, I wish Caitlin Dever could have gotten in as well, but I'll, I'll, I'll take this and I'll run with it. Feldstein, uh, Feldstein was just so fantastic in Booksmart. I'm really, really happy for her. And Anna Darmas, that's great too. To see. Yeah, yeah. I'm really, really yeah. happy that that. I remember when people saw that movie, they were very surprised that she turned out to actually be the lead of the film and wasn't just a supporting member of the cast, but really like the focal point of the movie. And it was just such a great display of her talent, and for people to recognize that she is such an exciting young uh, new actress to watch on the scene right now. So I'm happy that she's getting this level of recognition. Uh, you all know I love Emma Thompson in Late Night, so that's great. Um, I yeah. think Aquafina's walking away with this, though. Easily. Yeah. It's and also I- very interesting to look at this category, though, and there is potential that all five of these nominees will not be at the Oscars. Yeah. Yeah. Which is sad. Breaks my heart. Best Actor, Musical or Comedy. Daniel Craig for Knives Out. Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Taron Egerton for Rockin' Man. Roman Griffin Davis for Jojo Rabbit. Wow. And Eddie Murphy for Dolomite Is My Name. What a great lineup. Yeah, oh, I'm, so, I, I'm so happy that Roman has got in. Because he's so wonderful in Jojo Rabbit. He's so sweet and so just such, oh, he's just such a great performer. And he's... Oh, I just he, he makes that movie. I mean, oh, he carries the whole thing on his shoulders. I know it's amazing. He's got great comic so timing. He's extremely expressive. Um, I'm very very happy for him. I had a chance to meet him recently. He was just such a nice nice uh, young kid, and uh, I'm very very happy for him. Uh, great lineup. I I go back and forth all the time on who's winning here. It's like. DiCaprio, Egerton, and Murphy are just fighting it out to the death, essentially. I, I, I don't know. Um, I really don't know. I, for a while, I thought it would be Taron Egerton, just on a hunch. I have absolutely no basis for that reasoning whatsoever, and it's just like, I, I have no idea now. Mm, I think you got a basis for what happened at another uh, precursor. I think that gives you some hope. Yeah, yeah, I, but Leonardo DiCaprio, man, it's, it's very clear they love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, so... Well, they also love him. He's got, what, three Golden Globes? Yeah. And I think they really want to have Eddie Murphy there. Yeah, could be. Best Actress in a Drama, Cynthia Revo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Saoirse Ronan, Little Women, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. In all likelihood, uh, I would say in a 60-40 split, I think this could be the five come Oscar nomination Very well could be, yeah. If Ronan gets in, I'd be thrilled. I would be too. I just don't want it to be at the expense of Lupita. I know. Oh, God, that's right. So we'll get to that in a little bit here. Uh, but suffice to say, I remember, Josh, remember like a Golden Globe nomination morning, I was like, if Willem Dafoe and Lupita Nyong'o don't get nominations here, then I'm holding out for SAG, and if they don't get nominations at SAG, I'm just giving up at that point. Well, turned out that way for one. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and look, Matt, it wasn't that I didn't want it to happen, but it, it's still the lighthouse. Like I love the movie, but it is still a I know. movie called the I lighthouse. I know. I officially took him out of my predictions this week. It. I finally, finally, finally had to face reality, and the reality is that it's just not happening. So, 
He's he's a winner in our hearts. That's that's all that matters. It, it might matter to some people, <laughs> but when MVP film awards come around, um, uh, you know, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Best actor in a drama: Christian Bale for Ford v Ferrari, Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory, Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Joaquin Phoenix for Joker, Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. It's interesting to see Bale there. Yes. Uh, I mean that accent. I mean, <laughs> I'm not sure what. Uh, I know it's supposed to be an English accent, but God knows where it's supposed to be from. Because <laughs> I, I I can't work it out. But I mean, he he's he's good in the role, but I don't know. I think the lo- I think the thing is this: one, people just respect, admire, and love Christian Bale completely. Yeah. My gut tells me he does not get the nomination for the Oscar for this even though it's a more likable role than what he did for Vice last year. Yeah. But people really do love that movie. Yeah. 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 If it it gets a Best Picture nomination, there is definitely a world where he comes along with it. Uh, The text, obviously. And guys, don't be surprised if James Mangold shows up at like DGA. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I have never really slept on Ford v. Ferrari as a contender. I've always felt that was going to do very well with the industry. And this type of nomination for him here, I think, is indicative of that. I still personally am thinking, feeling that it's going to be a, a first man scenario where it gets text but misses out on the above the line nominations. But I, but I'm not fully settled. I go back and forth all the time on, on it. I really do. Yeah, but yeah. the thing is that First Man was seen as a financial disappointment, though, and Ford v Ferrari has already made like double the amount that First Man did. And if it gets a bunch of nominations, that's going to help it even more. There's a narrative behind that movie that just is that wasn't there with uh, First Man. Yeah, I, I think right now what makes a lot of sense to me is. The picture and the t- I feel more confident in picture and text than I do in Bale and Mangold yet. I want to wait to see what obviously BAFTA does because if Bale gets in at BAFTA, then he's got Golden Globe, SAG, and BAFTA nominations to his name, and that will be huge. Yeah, which yeah. I mean, it's Christian Bale at BAFTA. That's a very likely possibility. Exactly. It's very likely. Very likely. Yeah. I can confirm. And if Mangold <laughs> gets uh, DGA, the film gets in at PGA. That's when I'll go all in on Ford v Ferrari. At that point, I want to see that it has across the board support with the above the line uh, categories. Because right now, to me, what Bale reminds me of, um, to a certain extent, this is this is different because the quality of the movies are, are different. And this is also an across the board contender, but it reminds me of like Denzel Washington and the afterglow of uh, Fences for Roman J. Israel Esquire, where mm-hmm. he got the SAG yeah. nomination. He showed up at uh, I think Golden Globes, and we were all like, "Wait, what? Really?" Uh, and remind you, we had that reaction because that movie was just that movie was a movie. <laughs> that movie, <laughs> uh, but. We should we should never have overestimated the love that the industry just has for Denzel Washington, and I think that is what might be happening with Christian Bale here. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I, Mangold though I would not count him out in DGA. No, because it does what a director really admires. It, it technically it's astonishing. It's a really really good piece of technical direction, but he's so good with the actors. I'm thinking particularly of uh, uh, Katrina Ola Belf as the wife, as Molly Miles. 
she gives such a wonderful performance and Noah Jupe as the son. Mm. That's really, really good. So I would think that um, they may, may admire both the acting uh, technique and the um, uh, technical expertise that Mangold brings to it. I'm not a huge fan of him, but I'm, ha- I'm really a, a fan of his uh, work here. All right. So, uh, next category then uh, was for Best Director. Bong Joon-ho for Parasite, Sam Mendes for 1917, Todd Phillips for Joker, Martin Scorsese for The Irishman, and Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, they do it every year, don't they? They always forget the the female filmmakers. Um, But I'm surprised about Todd Phillips. I'm not. I wasn't excited. I well. Yeah, go I ahead and was, gloat, Matt. Go ahead. I said it on. I said it last week on the podcast, and you all made fun of me. <laughs> well, it wasn't necessarily. I told you, Todd Phillips is going to get a Golden Globe and a DGA nomination, but he won't get the Oscar nomination. And you guys would all freak out. And sure enough, it it happened. Did <laughs> <laughs> jokes on us? No, no, no. The, here's yeah. the here's the bottom line. Here at the end of the day, um, I still maintain that that director's branch is not going to go for Phillips. Uh, and I mean the director's branch of the Academy. To me, it makes perfect sense for uh, Joker to show up here. It makes perfect sense for Phillips to maybe get, like I said, that DGA nomination. I don't think he's going to get a BAFTA nomination. I think that it is between Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, which is kind of, you know, funny in its own way, uh, fighting for that last slot amongst Bong Joon-ho, Sam Mendes, Scorsese, and Tarantino. Uh, Mangold's lurking, like I said, you know, a minute ago about TGA as well, but (sighs) the whole female filmmaker thing is very disappointing. It's upsetting. And I do agree with some people who, uh, are saying don't just nominate them because they are a female filmmaker. If you believe they really did do the best directing of the year, or um, you know their films were some of the best of the year, you know then then you then you choose them. Um, if you believe that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or Irishman 1917 or better directed films, then you choose the better directed films. But don't just do it because it's a woman that's directing it and that you're not that high on the film or the work. Um, but I I don't I don't know if that applies this year. I because I feel like Lorreen Scafaria or uh, Greta Gerwig, Marielle Heller. Lulu Wang, they they did really, really, really good work. Yeah, I mean, and the other thing is, like, I hear people make that argument that, yeah, if you should only nominate for who you think is giving the best work in the category, but if year after year it keeps happening, like, then the conversation never comes up anymore. And I think that at a certain point you have to recon- reconcile with maybe a flawed logic that, well, is there maybe something you're not looking for in these other movies that are directed by women that, as opposed to the ones directed by men? You have to have that conversation with yourself to see if maybe you're intentionally overlooking something if it keeps happening year after year after year. Well, what year. I want to know yeah. is this. Here's what I want to try to figure out. Why uh, the year of, of of Catherine Bigelow for Hurt Locker, why was that such a mainstay? Why was that such a lock? She was not fighting for a slot. She was in. Yeah. Well, I, I think that with Catherine Bigelow, there was also a narrative that 
she was directing a movie that was about men. And I think a lot of people saw that as, oh, look at this woman doing this very masculine story. I really do think that played into her narrative. Also that James Cameron was there. So it was like, you know, the ex. Yeah. Uh, Ex-spouses yeah. going at no, each I other. Think that's I, a, I think that's a perfectly – I think that's perfectly sound logic there in terms of answering my question. And I'm not saying that that's what needs to be done here because I think then that is also not fixing the problem. I think that that's – that sounds like a really just a icky compromise, if anything. Yeah. So I, I definitely think that what it comes down to is more opportunity. That's That's number one. Well, and the other problem that we always face every year is that the narrative always comes around one female director. And it's like, if that one doesn't work, then okay, then just throw the whole thing out. And it's like, it feels like right now the whole thing is on Greta Gerwig to get into this lineup. And she's not the only female director who made a great movie last year. No. True. No. I, I it, It's just, it's very disappointing because I want to try to make sense of it. And I want to try to make sense of it where the answer is not just blatant sexism, but unfortunately, everything I keep coming back to is that. And that just, that's a reality that just makes me angry and it sucks and I don't want to accept it. It's like I'm trying to like find a way to come up with some sort of other answer other than that. And it, it is, it is extremely frustrating. You could say maybe it's because those movies haven't made money, but I mean... I, I I don't know whether that's a, a fair argument to give. If it, it, you know, farewell did very respectable business. Hustlers was a it huge did. hit. Like, mm. I yeah, I, I, I anyone that's going to make an excuse like that, I just don't see the I don't see the logic in that reasoning. Oh no, no, no. I I, I know where I stand, and I do think it is unfortunately but i still want to but i still will maintain this though i still will maintain don't vote for a female director just because oh we got to have a female director yeah no that's no just, no no if you love the film you love the film plain and simple yeah we yeah. should just be judging them on their work nobody wants it to be a pity vote or a token vote no. no, no, but I would also just add a tiny asterisk at the end of that is if you are somebody that consistently every year never has any females uh, in your director lineup, maybe ask a question as to why that is. Yeah, no, that is true. I think that's the big takeaway here. Like I said, I never expect the Golden Globe uh, nominees to match up with the Oscars because the directing branch at the Oscars go their own way all the time. We've known now for a little bit or at least have been pondering over the last couple of weeks that we were probably heading for an all-male director lineup this year at the Oscars. Um, there is a piece that's going to be uh, released this week on nextbestpicture.com, an FYC uh, list of uh, female-directed films this year uh, that we are going to be you know, really heavily pushing for people to consider uh, when the ballots go out because – I, I think Honey Boy and like, you know, even Queen and Slim, these are just really technically impressively well-made films. I mean, the, the 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 bravery of what Jennifer Kent this year did with The Nightingale for that movie to just get completely shunned the way that it did is, is so upsetting to me. And there's just so many examples every single year. Um, I think back a lot to um, Leave No Trace and You Were Never Really Here and like yeah. how those films just did not get the push from the studio. Like the, the support wasn't there. So it's like first things first is opportunity, opportunity for female directors to make uh, movies that 
are going to be in the awards conversation, get that nice prime uh, release slot from the studio. Uh, the second thing is the studio backing itself. You know, we talked a lot about how studios have certain priorities uh, when they have multiple films that they're pushing in a single given year, and some movies will get a bigger push than others. And I know that we said in the lead up to its release, like A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, for example, it just seemed like Sony's completely cooled off on that film after it got such great reviews out of Toronto, and the buzz just died for that movie. Yeah. Completely died. Um, and I still don't understand why Hustlers, with all the money that it made, is only being considered right now for J-Lo. Why is it not in the adapted screenplay conversation? Why is it not in the editing or costume conversation? Like, these movies can be in the conversation more. It comes down to just the studio backing and if they are indeed giving them the push that they ultimately deserve. Because that will keep them top of mind for when people do, do go to fill out their ballots and for Best Director, they'll understand that... This movie was something that was well made on so many different levels across the board, all technical aspects, the acting, the writing, so on and so forth. And yeah, that's top of my mind now to list as one of the best directed films of the year. It takes an active effort to do so. <sighs> all right. Moving on from that. Best picture, musical or comedy. Yeah, we're still doing Globe nominations, people. <laughs> Dolomite is my name. Jojo Rabbit, Knives Out, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Rocket Man. I'll take this moment to just say, um, outside of... Jennifer Lopez uh, for Hustlers and Supporting Actress. Hustlers was robbed across the board. They campaigned it in musical or comedy, and they shouldn't have because it's not a comedy. Uh And even then, it still couldn't crack a lineup. (sighs) Anyway. I'm just glad to see Rocket Man. I'm just happy to see Rocket Man. I feel like, you know, I was so worried that that film was going to be missed off. Yeah. Because of its release date. And obviously, the sort of, controversy of a bohemian rhapsody i thought maybe that would affect it <laughs> but um no it's it's still it's still doing really well outside of the mist though for like hustlers though this is still a really solid lineup oh yeah, yeah. no yeah. no i've come around a lot more on once upon a time in hollywood the more i watch it um and i hear other people talking about it i still i still think it has flaws and issues but sure I've definitely come around to it a little bit more. And Dolomite is just a joy of a film. Jojo Rabbit, another joy of a film. Knives Out is in my top 10. And I think I was high on Rocket Man than you were, Josh, and maybe even you, Tom, I I think. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, everybody else was higher on Rocket Man than I was. But I did love Edgerton in it. I think he's really great. So all around, solid lineup. And then last but not least, best motion picture drama, 1917, The Irishman, Joker, Marriage Story, and The Two Popes. Shout out to The Two Popes for roaring back here at the Golden Globes after it failed to make any dent whatsoever at the Critics' Choice uh, nominations. This is one of those films that on the podcast review, Josh, we said was on the bubble for quite a lot of categories. It has such a poor showing with Critics' Choice that I think we defaulted to this idea that it would probably just be a screenplay nominee and maybe nothing else. Uh, Golden Globes just you know gave a little bit more of a push to that, um, that it could contend elsewhere. Uh, But then it shut out at uh, SAG, which we'll get to in a second, leads me right back to where we started, which was I still think this is just a screenplay contender. I I think that there is room for some of the like acting categories. Like I wouldn't necessarily count out Jonathan Price or Anthony Hopkins, but I would say that at this moment, it's best bet is screenplay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think the two actors are probably six or seven in the list of, um, uh, in their respective categories. 
And I, I wish it wasn't that, but they're because they're so good. Yeah. But I think this might just be a screenplay play. All right. So now that the Golden Globe nominations are out there, uh, do we have any other takeaways before we move over to SAG? Um, I would mention that Joker getting the best film drama nomination. I think that that is also pretty significant for that film. Yep. I mean, it was never like I was saying, it was never in doubt in my mind that Joker was going to be loved by the Hollywood foreign press. Um, what I what I wasn't anticipating actually was the score, um, because I remember thinking early on that the score was definitely in contention, but that seemed like such a dark and brooding score and not something that, that branch of the Academy sometimes goes for um and for it to land here at golden globe and really just not miss a beat uh so far throughout the whole season being in lock and step with the film um yeah you know it's like things like that the cinematography the sound uh you know its performance at the guilds joker is not uh joker's not just a joaquin phoenix play like it is a picture tech like across the board contender all the way hell don't be surprised if it shows up in adapted screenplay i wouldn't be surprised yeah, because WG also really has an affection for comic book movies, and they've got all their disqualifications, too. So, uh, really quickly, uh, I don't want to go through all the categories here, but what do you guys think is going to win uh, musical or comedy? Um, Hollywood. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. yeah I think it's strong uh, across-the-board nomination showing definitely solidified that for it. Uh, for drama, a little bit trickier, what do you guys think? Uh, I think I'm still saying Irishman. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'm going to go with Irishman. Yeah, of this lineup, definitely Irishman, I think. Musical and co- or comedy is going to be a tough one, but for drama, I think would probably be the Irishman. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not I'm not too sure on musical or comedy. Oh, it's really tricky. Keep in mind that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is the only film in that group to get director and screenplay. Mm-hmm. I do feel like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood would get a lot of love. Wait, wait. I want to know this. You're you're very hesitant. What is it between then if it's not just Hollywood for you? I'm not good with this sort of stuff putting me on the spot. Uh, it's Hollywood. All right. We're moving on. It's going to be Hollywood, <laughs> I think. Yeah, you could just say Hollywood. That's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right. There we go. Hollywood. All righty. B, this is a tough room here. Oh. Uh, I, I, I absolutely hate... Uh, this is why I don't do... Uh, I'm so glad that I'm not the one having to pick people because my like ballot would be awful. It'd just be scribbled out and then like I'll be asking for it back and then. <laughs> <laughs> Hi everyone, this is Tim Costa. I'm Romano De Silva, and this is Walter Vinci. And together we are the First Time Watchers podcast. Each week we choose a movie to review that none of us has seen. Watch it together and then discuss. These movies could be new or old or on our list of shame. You can find us on iTunes by searching for the First Time Watchers podcast. As well as on Stitcher. And we love interacting with our listeners, so if you have any suggestions, send us a tweet. An email. Or post to our Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. That's right. I mean, it's all about interaction. And talk about what we love. Movies. And you don't have to worry about us going on and on about this and that and the other. And oh, no, look, no, let's no, talk stop, about stop, this. Stop, stop, shut up, shut here. up, shut up, shut and up. I wonder shut who up. the gap that can God damn it, shut up. I think that's enough. Oh, my God. Go by Alrighty, SAG. Best Stunt Ensemble, Avengers Endgame, Ford v. Ferrari, The Irishman, Joker, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Excuse me, what? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, those stunts in The Irishman, man, you know. <laughs> you had guys, like, tossing and turning on the floor, falling down and stuff. Like, what the fuck is going... Oh my God. I was so confused by this. I actually thought this was the actual SAG ensemble lineup at first, you know, for uh, the main it would award. Make more sense, yeah. I was so confused. But yeah, um, Joker, I can understand a little bit. Yeah. But Jesus Christ. I mean, even Hollywood to a certain degree, because there is a stunt component built into the story of that film. Right. You know, but like, yeah, Irishman, I, I really don't know why this is here. Even Ford versus Ferrari is a little bit of a stretch to me, too. I, I, have, one, I have one question. Where the fuck is John? <laughs> John? Yo, Tom, I think that's the first time I've ever heard you drop an F-bomb on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I, re- I really mean No, you, you should, because John Wick has showed up at a couple of guilds. So it's yeah. genuinely surprising to me. I thought for sure that was getting in here. I was so confident that it was going to land here. Uh, yeah, no, it, this was confusing as all hell to me. But hey, you know what? Once again, uh, these films that are listed here, um, it just goes to show you the industry support for these movies. So yeah, it's a big deal. Uh, supporting actor. Uh, sorry. Best supporting actress. Laura Dern for Marriage Story. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Nicole Kidman for Bombshell. Jennifer Lopez for Hustlers. And Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Pretty surprising about Nicole Kidman. Um, it's not super surprising to me, only because Nicole Kidman is like Hollywood royalty, and she gets nominated for pretty much almost everything. It seems like. Um, but this is like her first major citation for this movie, though. We haven't really seen her pop up in too many other precursors. No, you're right. Probably gonna be. And I think that Ryan C. Showers made a really, really great point, and. I will say for the record, I, I I give him a lot of shit all the time because he is a Nicole Kidman stan, but he did make a really, really compelling good argument, which was uh, this could be the Woody Harrelson three billboards effect. Yeah, possibly. Um, I mean, Harrelson got nominated at BAFTA too, didn't he? Yeah, which we still don't know the nominations for yet. Yeah, so we'll, we'll see. Like, I'll give more credence to that idea if she pops up at another major one like BAFTA. I hear you. Um, Jennifer Lopez really needed this and I'm so glad that she got in because if she had missed this, I would have been scared to death for her. Um, Florence Pugh missing is definitely extremely hurtful. Uh, she needs to get a BAFTA nomination. I feel like at this point, uh, Zhao Shuzhen also that there's going to have to be a really, really concentrated, strong push, uh, to get her in at this point. I feel like. Uh, and then Kathy Bates was campaign lead, so she was not going to show up here. Um, and Annette Benning, Annette Benning just still feels like a globe sting to me that won't materialize anywhere else, personally. Yeah, because nobody's really talking about that movie, unfortunately. Right. I mean, it, the first impression of her as Diane Feinstein is amazing, but the character really doesn't go anywhere. Right. Yeah. The movie doesn't go anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> best. So now, best supporting actor. Uh, Jamie Foxx for Just Mercy, Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Al Pacino for The Irishman, Joe Pesci for The Irishman, and Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have never moved Jamie Foxx from my predictions throughout this entire season. Neither have I. He needed this desperately, and um, I, yeah, I feel very, very confident uh, leaving him in. I, 
I have removed one of these people from my lineup, and this is, I think, going to be my final lineup, unless if BAFTA does something extremely, extremely drastic. Who have you removed? Oh, I've removed Tom Hanks. Yeah, uh, I yeah. did that a while ago. I actually think that there's still a chance for Anthony Hopkins because he could get in at BAFTA too, and yes. Globe and BAFTA could, is a good combination to get a nomination, and I I really feel like he could still get into this lineup. I don't disagree. Um, I just I I would feel more confident if I knew Price was a sure thing. Yeah, but Best Actor is way more competitive. It seems like yeah. And I think we can all kind of confidently probably say at this point that even though Joe Pesci has turned out to be the critical favorite for The Irishman, uh, that both Pacino and Pesci are looking pretty good together, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah, I, I would say that. At first, I was almost a little bit afraid that this was going to be like a departed Nicholson and Wahlberg Same, scenario. Same, yeah. You know, Nicholson was always considered to be the front runner. And it's like, if you get one more person in there, good. And then at the end of the day, he didn't get in and Wahlberg did. But I feel like there is enough passion for both of those performances in The Irishman that they can both get in. Yeah, I think Pacino is, I mean, this is probably the best thing he's done in 30 years. Yeah. Uh, Certainly better than Son of a Woman, for God's sakes. Well, don't take much. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I, I think he's in it. Pesci is just so good in this. Um, I'm gonna, you know, ring the bell again for Sung Kang Ho for this. Yeah, no, yeah, that's uh, the Oscars. More on that in just a second here. Uh, Best Actress: Cynthia Revo for Harriet, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story, Lupita Nyong'o for Us, Charlize Theron for Bombshell, and Renee Zellweger for Judy. Major news for Nyong'o. Huge, huge. Yeah. This is big. I think she's in now. This is the sort of thing that, yeah, her and um, as you all know, I was standing hard for Willem Dafoe um, to get in at SAG potentially. Um, Had he gotten in, I I would have been saying the same exact thing. And since Lupita got in as well, I'm going to just say it. This is such a huge get for that kind of genre and that kind of a movie that. I think that we have to, have to, have to have her in the lineup at this point. I think so. Yeah, I think you can also even maybe start to say the same thing about Arivo, too. I know that it seemed like her buzz was dying a bit, but she's been showing up pretty consistently. And Harriet did make money. It was a success at the box office. So there are people out there that do like that movie. And I will say that, like, you know, I I went back and forth on this for a couple of weeks. You know, early on, of course, I thought Little Women was like a sure thing across the board uh, for everybody, including uh, Saoirse Ronan. And then um, I started to cool a little bit on it and I started thinking, you know, maybe Little Women is not going to be as strong on nomination morning as I think it will be. And I I remember when I moved Ronan from my predictions and everybody was like, you took out Saoirse Ronan, you know? Um, But now, yeah, I'm starting to think that this looks like a more likely five. I love Saoirse Ronan and Little Women. I really do. But... It's the kind of the same mentality I had when I made an argument with Leonardo DiCaprio um, the other week, which was they they get nominated a lot, but they don't get nominated for everything. True. It'll be interesting to see because Little Women will be opening on Christmas. Right. And the voting period will be during the time where there'll be maximum publicity on uh, Little Women. 
Right. So maybe I think it's between Ronan and Revo for the fifth slot. And I've been toying around with this idea lately that maybe one of the sure ladies could miss. Ooh. Surprising Oscar nomination snub. Like I assume you think Johansson. I'm not going to assume anything. I'm just saying that, you know, there's always a snub on Oscar nomination morning in the acting categories of someone that we always thought was going to be safe the whole time. And, you know, when it's competitive, watch out, you know? Yeah, I'm I'm not saying this is going to happen, but Johansson hasn't shown up in critics groups. All right, we'll see. Uh, Best actor, Christian Bale, Ford v. Ferrari, Leonardo DiCaprio, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story, Taron Egerton for Rocketman, and Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. There's Bale again. There is Bale again. <laughs> and, okay, so Taron getting this was massive. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Huge. So Taron Egerton now has SAG, and he's got a Golden Globe nomination. Um, DiCaprio has landed everywhere. Driver's landed everywhere. Phoenix has landed everywhere. Bale has got Golden Globe and SAG. BAFTA is going to tell us a lot with this category, especially considering Robert De Niro for The Irishman did not get Golden Globe or SAG. Yeah. yeah. And I always thought that he wasn't very safe for a nomination because you walk out of that movie. And I do feel like the conversation is always Pacino or Pesci, but, you know, there's a lot of respect for De Niro, but he always seems to come in third when talking about that movie. I still think he's going to get in only because I went through um, some history. And if the Irishman is the nomination leader, okay, and there's a chance it may not be. Maybe Once Upon a Time in Hollywood will be, right? Which is what I'm thinking. Yeah. But if the Irishman is the nomination leader on Oscar morning. There is a trend of uh, the lead actor also getting uh, a nomination uh, along with that film. True. If they're in, if they're in contention, You'd probably have to go back to DiCaprio and uh, Titanic. Yeah, because he got a Golden Globe nomination, so he was. But he didn't get an Oscar nominated. Right. Yeah. So you gotta like you gotta go pretty far back. Um, if your film is a nomination leader and your lead actor is in the conversation, um, like it, it historically it happens. Yeah, I think that he is definitely dancing around there, but I do think that Taron got a really big boost because I, I let me tell you, I think that he is actually going to win the Globe. That's my prediction right now. Same, that's my feeling. Yeah, and Rocket Man is the only thing that Paramount is pushing right now, so they can give a lot of priority to that one movie. And Taron is out there working it as best he can. Oh, I I really do feel that there is a clear path for him to get into the Oscar lineup. And I think this week in particular showed that the stars are kind of aligning for him. Oh, um, I think he's definitely going to get BAFTA as well. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say that the other funny kind of thing that you can look at is if you can compare it to like Ray versus walk the line where Ray for Jamie Foxx, he ran the season, won everything. And then the next year, Phoenix showed up in a bit of places, didn't win the Oscar, but still got the nomination. Could be kind of a similar parallel between um, Rami Malek and Taron Edgerton this year. I will say too, Antonio Banderas missing here, I thought was hurtful. Um, Adam Sandler uh, missing here, I think was deadly. That I agree with. I don't necessarily think that Banderas missing here was all that surprising because SAG... I mean, I know that we're going to talk about ensemble, but generally they don't go for 
uh, foreign language films a ton. Right. So. I always expected Banderas would show up at Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, and BAFTA before SAG. Like I said, it's not it's not yeah. deadly, just hurtful. That's all. Because um, because you know we, we're we're trying to look for sure things at this point, you know. Sure, and it would have been very helpful if he had gotten in, but I don't necessarily think it's that hurtful to him. It would have helped, certainly, but I still think that there's enough support for him in other places where he he is still feeling pretty good to me. Yeah, and there's really eight actors in the mix, and I still can't shake this feeling. And I'm and I like I know I try to give basis for it the other week, but I still can't shake this feeling about DiCaprio in this category that I have um, that he could be a victim of how competitive this category is. Yeah. Like, I'm sorry. I know people are going to like complain and tell me that I'm so wrong and this and that and everything, but it's just this weird feeling that I have where the way I feel about this category, considering how competitive it is, people are going to look for uh, reasons to leave off people that they think are sure things. Oh, someone else will vote for him. But my heart, I really want to try and give a vote to, say, Antonio Banderas, for example, right? Who might need the support a little bit more so. Yep. Someone is going to miss. Someone big is going to miss, I think, in this category. Um. And it's not going to be Driver or Joaquin. No. But, you know, right now we've got Banderas, De Niro, DiCaprio, Driver, Edgerton, Murphy, Phoenix, Sandler. That's a tough lineup to three of them are going to. And did you say Price? No, I don't think Price is going to get in. Well, if he gets a BAFTA nomination, he'll have Globe and BAFTA. Mm. I'm just saying that, like, this, yeah, this, cate- this category, I was hoping that the nominations over the last couple of weeks would help us with it. It has not helped at all. <laughs> no. Made it worse. Yeah. <laughs> uh, best Ensemble. Bombshell. The Irishman. Jojo Rabbit. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Parasite. This was a big deal. Yeah. Uh, y- yeah. You really cannot undersell how major it is for Parasite to get in here. Because this is something that even Roma couldn't do last year. Right. This uh, gave me all the ammun- ammunition in the world to declare that uh, Song Kang-ho is getting a supporting actor nomination. Yes. Yeah. It, it feels like – because that shows that there are actors that are behind this movie. And even though he didn't show up individually here, they still are responding to that movie. And yeah, it feels pretty safe to call him for a nomination at this point. Especially when you consider uh, you know, even though he hasn't shown up. Right. At Critics' Choice or any of the other ones, you know, Marina de Tavira, uh, she didn't even show up with critics groups last year. Yeah. Literally nowhere. <laughs> yeah, that was like. Wow. So we've seen that there's industry love for Parasite with the various guilds, ACE, art directors, as we mentioned before. Um, now it's SAG. It feels very, very likely that if they love the film that much. He could definitely surprise on nomination morning. One hundred percent, it could totally happen. I mean, at this point, it wouldn't even be that much of a surprise. Yeah, no, you're probably right. <laughs> yeah, and the uh, the FYC ads and the trades are all about him. Yeah. So huge. Uh, another huge thing here is Bombshell. Yes. Yeah. Bombshell uh, tied with uh, the Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood for the most nominations here. 
and um, I can't undersell uh, how important this was. You know, I know that uh, Bombshell has been in contention for the acting categories, especially with uh, Charlize Theron and uh, Margot Robbie showing up at all the right places so far. But just in terms of its best picture heat, uh, I thought this was a really, really important get for it as well. Huge. Mm. Same thing for JoJo. Yeah. Well, JoJo, I feel like, was something that I, I've never worried that the industry would go for JoJo. I always knew with critics it was going to be, like, hit or miss. Some groups would really, really go for it and some groups wouldn't. Because that film did get a divisive uh, reaction from, you know, the critical community. So it never really surprised me that it would be a little on the bubble. But in the industry, um, I always knew that they would probably go to bat for it. So... Still, yeah, you're right. Huge get for it. Uh, Marriage Story Missing, I I correctly predicted this to happen uh, last week, um, thinking it could be Irishman or Marriage Story, like they would get the nominations uh, individually, but miss on the ensemble just due to the competitiveness of the category. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think it hurts it in any way necessarily, although, you know, because I still think Marriage Story is a definitely, definitely a lock for a Best Picture nomination, but it is very interesting Ever since it dropped now on Netflix, more people have seen it. And it is missing at some places where it should not be missing. Yeah, you're right. I mean, for me, it drops to the second tier. Yeah, yeah. To me, this race really feels like it's between three movies with Hollywood, Parasite, and Irishman. And then below that, you've got the other tier of contenders that are fighting to just get nominated. Uh, Marriage Story feels pretty safe, but I don't think it's contending for the win anymore. No, no. Um, and I would say number four is Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. Especially if Scarlett Johansson gets that supporting actress nomination. Um, very, very devastating for Little Women to miss across the board. Yeah. As we said before. Uh, but I want to believe once again that that's because of the late release and the early deadlines. All right. Uh, next trailer we're going to talk about is. The new film from director John Chu, who directed Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, and this is also being brought to us by Lin-Manuel Miranda. It's never musical, everybody, called In the Heights. Let's take a look at the trailer for this one. Let's give some thoughts. What does Suenito mean? Suenito. It means little dream. That's it? No story? All right, all right, everybody sit down, sit down. It's a story of a block that was disappearing. In a barrio called Washington Heights, the streets were made of music. I am Usnavi, and you probably never heard my name. Reports of my fame are greatly exaggerated. Morning, Usnavi. Pan caliente, café con leche. On these blocks, you can't walk two steps without bumping into someone's big plan. I'm making moves, I'm making deals, but guess what? What? You still ain't got no skills. <laughs> I've been saving up all my pennies in my piggy bank for this day. This is going to be an emotional roller coaster. The odds are against you. But there's a chance, right? A dream isn't some sparkly diamond. There's no shortcuts. Sometimes it's rough. I'm a street light choking on the heat. The world spins around while I'm frozen to my seat. They're talking about kicking out all the dreamers. But every day is different, so it's time to make some noise. 
We had to assert our dignity in small ways. Just listen. Little details that tell the world we are not invisible. Ignore anyone who doubts you. We came to work and to live, and we got a lot in common. This looks like such a delight. Yeah, it looks so good. Such a joy. Yeah. I, I, I just thought, like, we're in need of a really good musical. I love the vibe, the energy, the color. Um, I, I, Anthony, Anthony Ramos, just... Oh, yeah. Oh. oh love him. Fantastic. I, I, this just looks like such a, a, a nice musical to go enjoy at the movie theater um and i love that it's obviously embracing the fact that it's a musical it's so worked into the trailer it's not hiding that at all um which some movies i feel like tend to do sometimes remember like the trailers for like sweeney todd back in the day oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Jeez. and then you turn up and there's the singing involved you're like yeah. what <laughs> so um that's really really nice to see um yeah i i, I want to be able to provide a little bit more thoughts um but Ultimately, it just kind of just boils down to love the love the visuals, love the energy, love the vibe, and New York. What else can I say? <laughs> <laughs> what I love is John Chu knows how to make a musical. Yes. Uh, he did the Step Up films, uh, and really, uh, no matter what you might think of them in terms of storyline, the choreography was amazing. And it looks like here he's trying to do a little Busby Berkeley thing with the pools, people in the pools and circles. Gorgeous, just beautiful. And yeah. um, Anthony Ramos looks terrific in this. Yeah, John Chu really knows how to stage those musical numbers really well so you can actually see the choreography and enjoy the dancing that's going on. And yeah, this movie looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I haven't seen the the original um, stage production of it, so I can't judge it that way. But just based on this trailer, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, I've just realized that he directed my, one of my favorite. I, I'm going to sound awful, but uh, one of my favorite music videos is Beauty and the Beat, the Justin Bieber <laughs> um, song. And he directed the, um, the music video for that. So, uh, you know. Oh no God. judging, but really be true. Uh, I don't even like Justin Bieber, but that music video was so, like, filled with so much energy and was just really great. Um, so I just thought I would say that, you know? Like, don't judge me. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the fact that it's coming out in in June, it's like the perfect summer movie. So yeah. it's just great. And I really, I, I think it's going to do very well. It just, I think it's just, yeah, it's a film that we need right now. Yes. All right. Moving over now to the, uh, to the polls really quick. Uh, for last week, we asked everyone, uh, which is their favorite Adam Sandler performance to get them ready for uncut gems. Here are the results and how they came back. At number 10 uh, is his role in Click. Which, oh. do you remember, remember, like, like, Click is an Oscar nominee, you know? 
Yeah. Yep. And like, I, I, I need to revisit that because I remember people being kind of shocked by its emotional uh, climax. You guys remember that? Yeah, yeah. I, I remember yeah. it. And I also remember being upset, like at the very end of the movie. But that's another conversation. Yeah, I remember it, that was just such a weird uh, movie in terms of its reaction uh, that it got from people. Um, I'm curious to see how that holds up. I might actually rewatch that uh, pretty soon. Uh, number nine is Big Daddy. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's a favorite. You know, that's people great, people really like that. Film. Yeah. Uh, number eight is his role in Funny People. Wow. I thought that might be a little Which higher. I think is a I think I think one half of Funny People is a good movie. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other half yep. I feel like is a totally different movie and I remember thinking there's absolutely no reason this movie needs to be two and a half hours long and <laughs> Yeah. But I thought Sandler was great in that. He's very good in the movie, yeah. Number seven is Billy Madison. <laughs> that is just a ridiculous Adam Sandler role. Um once again, you know, the the comedic lines and, you know, quotable stuff that people remember. It, it, you know, it's not a good movie, but I can understand. I mean, most of Adam Sandler's movies are not good movies, you know? No comment. <laughs> Number six. Here was a good movie I actually enjoyed. Fifty First Dates. I've never seen it. Really? Yeah, I never got to that one, but I've heard good things about it's it. It's a cute romantic comedy. It's a weird romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> I would urge you to give it a try. Number five. Uh, this my, of, of all of Adam Sandler's goofy comedy films, this one might be my favorite. Number five is Happy Gilmore. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's not bad. Again, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, I don't really go in for his comedies. They're not my taste. Number four is The Wedding Singer. Oh. No comment again, Josh? <laughs> I, I haven't seen The Wedding Singer. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, maybe the top three will will satisfy you. Number three is The Meyerowitz Stories. Uh, it was solid. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I really enjoyed that a lot, actually. More than I actually thought I was going to at the time. I really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, number two is Uncut Gems. Nice wow. Which, yeah, um, which I think is literally the best thing he's ever done. And I, th- I think he's amazing in the movie. Can't wait to see it. Number one is Punch Drunk Love. Yeah, I mean, that was very, I, you could have called that one, because that's the the unifying performance, where people that even, if you don't like Adam Sandler usually, you'll say, well, I don't like him except for Punch Drunk Love. Like, that's yeah. the one everybody agrees yeah. on. Yeah, I'm surprised that Waterboy uh, didn't. <laughs> uh, Waterboy tied for 11th place. Ah, uh, I thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad we don't have to talk about that. And we had one write-in for Jack and Jill. Oh, really? Oh, no. No, no, That no. was okay. Al Pacino. <laughs> <laughs> the Dunkachino commercial is just oh. uh, This is a question that we've actually asked uh, before. Uh, we asked this question two years ago, Val, uh, at the time of the release of uh, The Last Jedi. But I thought it would be interesting to revisit it since it's been such a long time. Um, our base and you know has definitely uh, grown a little bit uh, since then. So uh, we're asking everyone which is their favorite Star Wars film. Yikes! <laughs> oh gosh, film Twitter's <laughs> gonna love that. <laughs> <laughs> I would say Empire for me. That that's probably the one that I would 
say is the best. Same. I love Empire so much. But I also want to give a little shout out to um, Rogue One as well. Because I feel like that is a film that everybody misses off their list. And it's it's really good. I, I watched it again recently. And uh, aside from the really creepy, like... Oh, the Peter Cushing, yeah. Yeah, that's that's weird. But aside from that, I thought it was really, really good. And it still hits me, that ending. I want to give a shout out to uh, The Force Awakens, which I think is the breeziest, most fun uh, movie of the franchise. I also want to defend The Last Jedi. I remember at the time when I first saw it, I was like a 7 out of 10 on it. I liked it. I had some issues with it repeat viewing since its release has uh, brought it up in my mind a little bit more and I would even go so far as to say um, that and uh, I would say it's between that and Rogue One but it's probably the most visually like beautiful Star Wars movie I think Mm -hmm. and I would even say that like I would say that Empire is the best of the series oh 100% but I would also say that The Last Jedi is the most interesting one it's the one to me that actually takes some stuff from the franchise that I didn't find that interesting in the previous movies and actually adds nuance and complexities to them. And I found that to be very impressive. As somebody who is generally agnostic to loving Star Wars in the first place, the fact that The Last Jedi actually took some chances and brought some more depth to what it was working with, that to me was very interesting. My only, my biggest problem with with, uh, The Last Jedi is pacing, actually. But in terms of uh, storytelling and the uh, things that it did to buck uh, tradition and subvert expectations and really take the uh, franchise and the story just in interesting new directions, I know it divided the fandom, but I found that to be so exciting that now with Rise of Skywalker, I am genuinely afraid that this movie is going to cater more towards um, what the fandom wants, as opposed to continuing uh, what Ryan Johnson started with Last Jedi. That's that's my biggest fear heading into Rise of Skywalker right now. Well, especially if but, you bring J.J. Abrams back. Who I like as a director. I like the Star Trek movies, and I liked The Force Awakens. I don't have a problem with J.J. Abrams. I just... Yeah. He just plays it too safe. We'll see. We'll we'll see yeah. what happens. I oh, well, JJ yeah, endings yeah. though. JJ, I, I think he starts very well. I don't trust he him with endings. He doesn't know how. He doesn't know how to end anything. Yeah. We'll see. Can I pipe in here? I I I'm I don't know who was alive in 1977, but the first, <laughs> but the first time I saw Star Wars was at a preview. No one had seen it. I sat down at the Lowe's Astor Plaza in Times Square. And it's like, okay, it's a science fiction movie, all right. And I was knocked out. It's that first surprise of A New Hope that I was like, oh, my God, who are these people? And they're wonderful, and I love them in the midst of this amazing science fiction thing. It's the first shock of recognition that this we're on to something different. And um, really, I've never had that same feeling again. So A New Hope for me is the one. Nice. That's awesome. 
Uh, I do feel like Empire Strikes Back is going to win this in a walk. Um, I'm more interested to see what the ranking is at the end of the day from the MVP film community. So, I, yeah, I would like to see if the prequels, if any of them, sort of make it. Yeah, I'll, well, I can <laughs> tell you, I can tell you this much. I'll, I'll make a prediction right now that the bottom three will probably be Solo, Phantom Menace, and Attack of the Clones. I actually think Revenge of the Sith will uh, place higher. I'd agree Ooh. with that. I mean, it's the best of the prequels. I mean, the last 20 minutes are all really good. Yeah. There's the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. I'll, I'll be very curious to see, uh, like I said, how the fandom votes on this one. So, all right. So head on over to the polls page, nextbestpicture.com. Cast a vote. Let us know what you think and vote on your favorite Star Wars film. And because this poll will be up uh, all week, uh, you can also vote for The Rise of Skywalker as some of us will be seeing it uh, pretty early. So... Head on over, cast a vote, let us know. Final trailer for this week. Promising Young Woman. Ha. Huh. Let's take a look at this one because, oh, I've got, I've got some things to say. <laughs> yeah. Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Please lay down. What are you doing? It's okay, yeah, you're safe. What are you doing? Hey, I said, what are you doing? Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Cassandra? We were in class together at Forest. You would have been a great doctor. What happened? I left under unusual circumstances. You remember what happened, right? Why I dropped out. I'm not the only one who didn't believe it. We get accusations like this all the time. Who needs brains? They never did a girl any good. I'm so sorry I didn't go with her. You gotta let it go. What are you gonna do? have to ruin everything we were kids if i hear that one more time i have to give him the benefit of the doubt i was hoping you'd feel differently by now it's every guy's worst nightmare getting accused like that can you guess what every woman's worst nightmare is i wanted to be a doctor my whole life lately i've been feeling like i might want to get back into it oh my gosh this is like the kind of thing that I love. I love that like we always head into the spring with like this idea of, oh, it's the spring, it's the off season. There's not going to be like anything really interesting to watch. But this is the time of the year where we get these like movies from studios like Focus Features and you're just like, 
all right, that looks like something I'll, I'll definitely like anxiously like go check out at the movie theater. Um, it may not be an Oscar contender or anything like that, but it just satisfies like that craving that we have for uh, decent cinema. And this coming from Emerald Fennell, who uh, is the showrunner for the second season of Killing Eve, uh, starring Carrie Mulligan. Uh, it, it just this this just looks like a hell of a good time. And oh, looks Bo so Burnham. awesome! I'm so happy, Bo Burnham. Yo, seeing Bo Burnham on the screen, like as an actor, is something that is still so weird to me because I remember watching him on YouTube when he was yeah. a teenager. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I have followed that man's life, I feel like. Uh, you know, like I'm living out my own Irishman uh, with Bo Burnham, I feel. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's definitely very interesting to see where his career is heading. Yeah. It's so nice to see Carrie Mulligan back. Oh, she's so good. I mean, I, I loved her in um, Wildlife. Wildlife. Oh, that's a movie that yes. did not get a fair shake from people. She was amazing in that. Yeah. And I, I this looks like a lot of fun yeah <laughs> and uh the use of toxic in oh that's like my new Gino. favorite thing nowadays because uh, with wonder woman we had a little bit of that as well where um you take these very popular songs and you kind of just do a little bit of a musical riff on on it a little bit and just kind of contort it just the right way for the rhythm of the trailer and that so that was well. so well done here with the violin strings i loved it oh excellent cannot wait for this Plus, movie <laughs> She looks like she's pain, playing a very fascinating uh, character that can offer us uh, a great deal of depth. The question is, is this going to be like a campy movie like, say, Greta or Ma? Or is this going to offer um, some more complexity and depth? You know what I mean? You know what this reminds me of? Mm. Um, Box Lux. Oh, okay. Or like her smell. In sure, that yeah. Like... I like these type of like women who aren't likable. I want more of this. These like scary women who are sort of complex and complicated and messy. I want more of this being shown on because we have it in on on TV, you know, with yeah. bag and everything. I want to have this more. I want uh, this looks like the the type of characters I'm interested in seeing and we have it all the time with, you know, male actors and let's let's have more of these unlikable women and i would actually oh. argue that we are getting stories about unlikable women oh, a yeah, lot yeah, the problem are. is that they're not getting uh the push um her smell yeah. is a great example of this i thought american woman was another great example of this uh this year as well and you know uh not, this is not an unlikable character necessarily but like a movie like gloria bell with julianne moore is uh, another one that you know it kind of came and went you know what I mean? So I'm, I'm uh, these movies exist and they're definitely there and there is an audience for them, especially. Um, I just wish they got more of a spotlight put on them. I guess it comes down to, you know? Yeah, yeah definitely. So very, very excited for this. Um, I can't wait to check it out. It looks visually uh, it, it, it intoxicating and it, it just it, it looks like it's like I said, satisfying all the cravings. I'll probably be feeling around that time of year when the Oscars are over. So. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, now to finish things off for this week, fan questions. Let's answer uh, some questions from some people and let's get on out of here. Alrighty, uh, first one from Kevin Jacobson. It seems like Renee Zellweger has become the default frontrunner and best actress, but I'm skeptical. Who do you think has the best chance of unseating her and why? 
I, I will admit, Kevin, I am skeptical as well. Yeah, I go back and forth like on a weekly basis as to whether or not to keep Renee Zellweger in my number one. And I go between her and Scarlett Johansson because she is in the movie that's going to be in a – I mean, she's probably going to be in two Best Picture nominees, and she's got heat for both of those performances. But at the same time, I could see the season just giving all the industry prizes to Renee and that just being the end of it. So I, I don't know. I go back and forth a lot. I have not moved from Scarlett Johansson in my number one choice since I've seen Marriage Story, and I'm, I see absolutely no reason to move away from it. I'm going to go back to something I said a few weeks ago, which is if Renee Zellweger steamrolls Critics' Choice, Golden Globe, SAG, BAFTA, she wins all of them, she's going to win the Oscar even without a corresponding Best Picture nomination. Yeah. But if Scarlett Johansson wins something and upsets Renee somewhere... With the corresponding Best Picture nomination, I think then that Scarlett Johansson is looking pretty damn good. I I agree with that. I do think that Renee only wins the Oscar if she steamrolls. Yeah, I think so. I mean, because she doesn't have the backup. No, that's true. Two Peas on a Pod wants to know, why isn't Shia LaBeouf or Alma Harrell getting any recognition for Honey Boy during the season? And will the Oscars break that trend? It's like, if you don't kiss their ass, they act like you don't exist. Thoughts? Yeah, that's true. It's just a tiny movie at the end of the day, and I just don't think enough people are watching it, unfortunately. And man, Shia LaBeouf, he's so good. He does deserve a nomination, but people just aren't seeing the movie. Well, uh, the thing is, I wanted to go see Honey Boy last week, and it's only being screened at one cinema here, and it was at 12 o'clock in in the afternoon on a weekday. Yeah. What am I doing? Gonna have to call in sick at work? Well, no, I'm a good girl. I don't do that type of thing. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's really frustrating. I, w- I want to see this movie and I want to go support it. Yeah. Uh, but it's just not being screened. And I think, you know, that's not helping it. I think there's also sadly a biasness against Shia LaBeouf that's gonna, yeah. th- this could yeah. be the, the step a step on the road to gaining goodwill back within the industry. But I think embracing him with an Oscar nomination was always a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Even though I really, really badly wanted to see it happen. And I agree, but I feel like it's one of those things where that is there until you see the movie and you see his performance. And it, I think it just becomes undeniable how great he is in the film. You just have to bring yourself to watch the movie first. I, th- I think he needs a follow-up. Yeah. And I think the follow-up, they'll embrace him. Yeah. Okay, next question. Uh, Isaiah Washington asks, are we underestimating Joe Pesci's performance on how well it will do during the precursors because it's a subdued and subtle performance, even though he's getting arguably more critics' uh, love compared to his co-star, who is without question uh, showcasing the more showy performance? Like, are we underestimating him to win? Yeah, I I want to just say for the record um, that I still maintain Joe Pesci is a critics thing. Yeah, yeah. I think it's one of those things where we all love Joe Pesci. There's a nostalgia factor built into it here. Um, he's in a movie that's widely seen that we all, for the most part, like, and we're voting for him because we just think that he is an OG and a badass and freaking awesome in the movie, which he is. But there is, I think, a bit of um. I do think it's a bit niche, and I don't know if it's going to pay off uh, when we get to the larger voting groups. Yeah, I I don't think for him for the win, 
Um, but there is something about this is a kind of final farewell because I don't think he's going to do another film. Uh, and if he goes out on this high note, beautiful. Uh, but I think once the, um, the guilds go in, I think Pitt is going to be uh, rolling along. I agree. And it's not like Brad Pitt's doing bad with the critics either. Like, he's got his own fair share of precursors. Uh, this one comes from John EW.2480. Hi, Matt and co- Hi, Matt and company. Loyal listener here. Love NBP. Under the old system of 10 nominations with 10 slots on the ballot, 2009 to 2010, which films would benefit in becoming a Best Picture nominee, whereas uh, their chances are far less so with this current system? Mm. Well, hi, John, and thanks for being an NBP uh fan i really we really appreciate it i would say bombshell will get in um jojo is probably under probably under the top five. Oh, i would say the farewell would have a good chance in a year of uh 10 yeah yeah where i feel like under this current system i think it's gonna mess yeah um maybe even two popes it's another one it's kind of a bubble contender but if you had a guaranteed 10 there would be more reason for people to put it on their ballot Mm. and what about little women yeah little women would definitely be in the 10 i think rocket man maybe Mm, i think rocket man is looking good for i mean let me tell you if rocket man gets like a pga nomination we'll have to definitely like consider some stuff there i think but until then yeah Uh, All right. This one comes from Pop Culture Cub. Uh, What are your thoughts on the recent criticism that Hollywood Foreign Press members simply didn't attend screenings of Queen and Slim? Why hasn't that film caught more love? Uh, Well, I mean, Queen and Slim is a movie that I think is very well made. It's not a perfect movie. And I think it was really without stellar reviews was going to struggle with the awards conversation anyway. Um you know, the Hollywood Ford press are always getting into some kind of controversy with their membership. So I, that doesn't necessarily surprise me. But I think overall that movie doesn't hasn't really been hitting anywhere else either. Yeah. I think that movie's got uh, some difficult subject matter um, in the way that it also conveys it. I think rubs some people the wrong way. Yeah. Um, yeah. It needed to be it needed to be more universally embraced. And it's not. It's a good conversation starter, and I think it's a very challenging and interesting film, and it's one I ultimately ended up enjoying in the end, but uh, you need to have more widespread universal appeal, I think, um, in order to be in the best picture conversation at the end of the True. day. You know, but yeah. I, I think I still think that four people at a screening is pathetic. Yeah. No, it definitely is. You're 100% correct. Uh, Damien, uh, I'm going to get this right. At Damien Sport One asks, who will get snubbed after hitting all the precursors this year, and why do I feel it's Cynthia Revo and Tom Hanks? Well, I do feel like it's going to be Tom Hanks at least. Yeah, last year it was Timothy Chalamet for Beautiful Boy. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it will be Hanks. Yeah, I, I think so personally. We'll see. Uh, a lot of people are asking if Adam Sandler uh, stands a chance anymore, Best Actor. Um, so for all the people that answered uh, asked that question, what do you guys think? I don't. <laughs> it it's tough because Sandler has so much passion behind him and you need passion to get a nomination like that's it doesn't necessarily get you the win but you need passion for a nomination and he could leapfrog some you know you're talking about like could DiCaprio fall out in favor of Sandler I could see that happening I I don't know if that movie though is gonna be 
anything outside of the critics, and I just don't see any evidence of that yet. So I, I don't know. It's a big question mark when it comes to Uncut Gems for me. I feel like yeah. Uncut Gems could surprise with something, um, the quote-unquote, like, cool uh, nomination. Uh, what I mean by something like that is, like, when Drive shows up for, like, a lone sound editing nomination. To me, Uncut Gems feels like the kind of movie that shows up maybe with just, like, a lone sound mixing or a lone editing nomination, you know? Something like that. I mean... Shit, could you guys imagine if, like, Josh and Benny Safdie, if that director's branch was really that bold and they got just a lone director, like, nomination slot, like David Lynch, Mulholland Drive style? That would be insane. (laughs) But you have to admit that Uncut Gems is not a friendly movie. No, it's definitely not. It's very aggressive, and it's also something that I think, yeah, I think it is a critics-only thing. I do. Yeah, but the thing that I keep coming back to is that the critics who are liking it are people that I did not expect to like it. And that's the thing that's given me pause about how it might land even with industry people. I will say this. Adam Sandler, I think he really wants it and he's putting in the work. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And for someone who doesn't want to um, do the schmooze stuff, he's been at theaters in L.A. all weekend and it really paid off in terms of uh, per theater average. It's over 100000 per theater, which is huge. It's second really only to Parasite this year. I'm going to uh, end this week uh, with a question from Sasha Stone from awardsdaily.com, who I believe this is the first time that she submitted us a question. So here it is. Do you like Oscar season or does it bother you? (laughs) And if so, why? I hate it. <laughs> I hate it because of the like staggered release dates means I can't sort of join in in the conversation properly. I I be I feel absolutely horrible for you for that reason. I really do. I wish it were different for a lot of people out there. You have my sympathy so much for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, this year it's exhausting, and I'm sure um, Sasha feels the same way. My <laughs> God. This is just a tough year, and um, we'll get through it. Yeah, I, to me, every Oscar season is always going to be a mix of good and bad. Like, I do always love watching the Derby. I always find that to be very fun, and the conversations that I have with people is interesting, and I always seem to make new friends along the way. I always appreciate that. Yeah, there's some nastiness that comes out every year, and you kind of have to tolerate it, but I think overall... I I do enjoy it because I do manage to find myself talking with people that I always enjoy talking with. And this is always when we get kind of excited about this relatively niche thing that we can get excited about that we don't get to talk about with too many other people. And I find a lot of value in that. And I always find that no matter what unpleasantness might come up with every season, it it generally will get dwarfed by the good relationships that I make along the way. And I'll always appreciate that more than anything else. I echo everything that you just said, Josh. I feel the exact same way. Yes, there is a lot of nastiness that comes with it every year. Yes, your favorite movies don't get mentioned. Um, You can even choose to embrace that reality and take the small wins wherever they come. Uh, You could choose to be a, uh, in the words of uh, Daniel Craig and Dives Out, a passive observer about the Oscar race. (laughs) Um, And I do think it is good on your mental health that way as a result. Um, I know that I've made that decision and it's helped me tremendously. What I do 
take comfort in is I take comfort in, like you said, Josh, the new relationships that I form with people that I meet either online or um, at parties. I was just talking to Paul Walter Hauser the other day, and we were uh, just talking about how even though we're in different corners of the industry, um, we're both living our respective dreams of being a part of this industry. And, you know, how great is it that we can say that we get to go to events where we meet our heroes and we get free finger food? It doesn't get any better than that. (laughs) You know? Yeah. So do I love Oscar season, you know, for this time of year where I get the chance to, like, interview people more, I get to meet people, I get to uh, relish... Uh, in the fact that I love movies with people who love movies as equally as I do. Absolutely. So much so that I do sometimes wish that it was more consistent in the off season. Um, you know, just the, the conversation or, um, the, the, the events and like things of that nature. I feel like when we get to the spring, things calm down and they should, because, you know, people get exhausted and it's tiring. Um, but man, oh man, that's why I love, uh, NBP so much is because we talk about it all year long and I like I like that it is a year long process. You know, I know they talk about it as a season, but there will always be films that come out in the earlier part of the year that can still sometimes be a part of the conversation. Lupita Nyong'o and Us, The Farewell. Um, yep. I mean, hell, it's gotten some Guild nominations, Avengers Endgame. You know, it's like there is still uh, stuff to talk about. And people think that, you know, once the Oscars are over, um, that there's nothing going on until September of next year. That's not true. I mean, you know, we head right over into Sundance. Then when we get back from that, um, I would say that spring area up until Cannes, like those two or three months there, yeah, that's probably where the lull happens in terms of awards talk for the most part. Uh, but, you know, we always try to find ways to keep things interesting here at Next Best Picture. Um, we're going to have our retrospective again, as we did last year. Uh, this year, we're going to be uh, looking at the 2014 year. And we just try to keep it going. Because at the end of the day, I think it is all about those relationships that you said, Josh, whether it be with stars or it be with filmmakers or um, just the people in your life that you want to spend time with. And in this case, I love spending time with you guys. So I want to keep that going as much as I possibly can. Yeah. Yay. Always have that be more important than the actual awards. Like, it's fun to follow, but don't take the awards that seriously and just enjoy the conversation and the friends that you've made along the way. And you'll have a much better time with award season. And that's that's really what it should be all about. All right. On that note, we're going to call an end to uh, this episode here of the Next Best Picture podcast. Bianca, tell everyone where they can find you on the Internet. Yeah, you can find me over at the Film B on Twitter, and also over in uh, in their own league. Uh, we're nearly reaching our top one, uh, top movie of the decade of our countdown. So I'm really excited. Which has been um, so much fun to watch. Um, it's been uh, such a thrill, honestly, to see uh, the list of movies that you guys have uh, put on there, and I, I just. I love it. I love what you guys are doing over there. I really, really appreciate the effort and the work that you and the entire team have put into uh, making that brand stand apart. They're all so wonderful and they do such a good job. And I'm I'm just really happy to have like the support of everybody as well. Like the people have been so great. And um, oh, I just I'm just so excited. I, I, just, I can't wait. I can't keep it a secret any longer. Oh. I'm really trying my hardest. No, I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to tell. Oh. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited. I can't wait to find out. All right, Josh Parham. 
Uh, you can find me on Twitter at J.R. Parham. Tom O'Brien? I wish I could say something's coming, but it's just me. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Thomas E. O'Brien. And you can find me in Next Best Picture. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening to episode 172 of the Next Best Picture podcast. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, Player, FMA, Cast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over a Patreon for $1 minimum a month you will get some exclusive podcast content from us, including an upcoming Christmas review of It's a Wonderful Life, which I cannot wait to revisit in time for the holidays. Thank you so much for listening. As always, we shall see you all next time.